0: Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Always record episode 121 with Dennis Cook. Power to the people.
1: we're a few minutes early so kevin and david aren't here yet but we'll be on right on you're in la
2: no um well i lived in la for the last 10 years and i uh just moved to iowa city iowa like eight months ago
1: (laughs) that has to be a change of sorts
2: (laughs) it's a change but um we've been coming here in the summer for for like many years and my family my sister lives nearby and Mm. my parents live nearby um and i went to school at the university of iowa here in iowa city and uh i grew up not far from here but uh
1: so it's all familiar
2: yeah it's very familiar but um yeah it's not la for
1: sure well (laughs) (laughs) did la start to grind on you or is it something you'll always like
2: you know, it's I. I really do, I go back there for work pretty frequently, but uh, and I'm happy to go back for short periods of time. But uh yeah, it, I it wore me out, and I'm really happy to not just to be outside of it right now.
1: I feel like if I live in any big city, I could deal with New York, and that might be it. I don't know if I'd want any other place.
2: Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. New York's I. Uh, I've, my sister lives in Brooklyn and I, oh man, I don't know. New York is, I find it harder, harder for me than LA. Mm. But
1: well, there's some shitty parts to it for sure. But <laughs> did you live there? No, I've just spent time there. Like I spent about six months, it was the longest stretch. And then I just go back and visit my brother who lives there. Oh, cool. Yeah. And I enjoy being a tourist there. And I've always said, oh, well, if I move, somewhere in new york it would be to the city probably just i like transit too i don't like dealing with a car sure all sorts of convenience things like that i'll deal with the smell of urine or (laughs) just the random weirdo but that's okay i sometimes i'm the weirdo on the train honestly
2: oh Um, hey i've i've been the weirdo many a time
1: (laughs) (laughs) so it teaches you empathy sure yeah
2: yeah we lived in, we had, well, mostly, I mean, I would say that it's primarily driven by the fact that we, my wife and I have three kids now, and just Los Angeles is just really rough for ha- having a large family. So,
1: mm. yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. But one way or another, I do want to end up further out west. I think that would be nice. I don't know if I was the right place, but <laughs> probably something like Oregon or, Northern part of California. I don't know.
2: Sure. And you're you're where, John?
1: Right now, I'm on the East Coast, so I've been in North Carolina mostly. Yeah, but I'm in upstate New York now.
2: You know, you you mentioned this in a in a recent, and probably maybe it was in the Pentimental uh, interview with Will Morgan that you're you were born in '85. Yes. You seem so much older than that. Oh. I don't know. I. You, maybe it's the way that you you speak very eloquently and uh, um, are quite together in the way you you talk. So yeah.
1: it's I've listened to myself a lot. If anyone, that's a, it's no special skill. It's just you listen to yourself enough and you pick up on things that annoy you about your voice or things that are interfering with your delivery. Sure. So it's an art form, if nothing else. So it's the one thing I do fairly well. <laughs> just yeah. Outline.
2: Well done. Because, yeah, I, I, te- I tend to not talk to a lot of people. So, yeah, I'm the I'm somewhat on the opposite end of that spectrum at times. But, uh, yeah, it's curious when you have to pay attention to yourself. And the truth is, I
1: get to edit myself, you know? I can I sound as good as I want to sound. But I just – I never edit anything to the point where I sound like a super genius. But, you know, with all hems and haws, with pen and metal, at least I kind of hard edit it where – I'm cutting out a lot of hems and haws just for the sake of it exposes the message more. It's just sure. like, uh, it, it's more to the point it shaves off like five to 15 minutes of audio sometimes just like dead awkward air or whatever. And so it's just cleaner and tighter. And so I guess I'm trying to package this. That's the best nice. way to go about it. And then with always record, you know, that's like a very soft edit just to make sure no huge gaps of like disconnect exists or, Anything awkward was said or done. <laughs> yeah, and that's I it. Really enjoyed,
2: I really enjoyed your conversation with Will. There was a lot of things that popped up there that I could relate with, and uh, and I also just appreciated you guys going for for certain topics like Velikovsky. Vilikos- uh catastrophism is something that I've been interested in for a while, and it was nice to hear other people speak about it.
1: Yeah, it's it's a cool subject, and. I guess the guy that influenced me was Paul Laviolette.
2: Sure. I know him very well or I know him through Camelot stuff, so
1: Yeah. And Camelot's okay, it's a bit sensationalist after a while. Yeah. And once I started seeing the Dolphin Superman, <laughs> I started questioning the whole enterprise, but I mean whatever, they're and they are what they are and they've done good work. <laughs>
2: I I tend to compliment it because it, for its point in time, it really did. It was something that I enjoyed. But you're right; it's not where it is now. Just similarly to where, you know, where Red Ice is now, or I don't know. I pop back there once in a while, but it's, you know, it served its point in time.
1: Yeah, now it's plateaued. I don't know. There's something to that notion that information is accelerating and people just get sort of lost in it. And frozen in time, in a stasis of information gridlock or lock-in, if you like the software analogy, which I usually don't, but it makes sense. Even people who are, I like Jason Horsley's word "alternate perception community." I don't know, if, I don't know if he came up with it or where it came from, but it's a good one. Yeah. Uh, you just see people get locked into these tracks. There's not a lot of it's still it's still very compartmentalized in ways which is obnoxious yeah. or, or reductionist so there's issues all over the place but whatever it's all good i do i've i've watched plenty of project camelot i just stopped after a while i stopped watching a lot of people <laughs> and at once i did my own stuff
2: which one did you watch
1: what uh, of camelot yeah yeah george green was someone that was interesting I think he was like the retired CEO that had this supposed magnet motor. And he had this little toy that rotated around and it was cool and all, but I, it didn't prove anything. And they were making a big deal out of it. So there's sensationalism and whatnot. Paul was probably the best one, even though it was kind of long and he doesn't have a great delivery. It's kind of boring. That's just my opinion, but he's, his material's so interesting and he's really one of the few to apply systems theory to microphysics. And it doesn't help him in the eyes of any mainstream people that he's into esoteric subjects, but his framework for physics is really strong. He's had it published in international uh, international journal of systems, which is a pretty, it's peer reviewed journal. It's not like a joke. He did it based on the zero point field. So he, he used mainstream language to describe his process. It's based on stuff Alan Turing did in the 50s. And no matter what motivates Paul LaViolette, like, philosophically, whatever, I mean, look at some of the people who we celebrate in history have these crazy (laughs) motivations for what they did. Yeah. There's no way they're rational. And they come through with all these amazing ideas. Who the fuck's to say what's...
2: Yeah, was did, in that conversation? Did bacon also come up as a, a really obscure tie-in? I think Will brought up bacon.
1: Uh, bacon came up in my talk with Dean Raiden
2: Oh, Dean Raiden But I thought um, didn't I, he was talking about it in terms of uh, Bernays and marketing, and uh, mm. I think he may have mentioned bacon. But I just it spurred my memory because I think at that same um, it reminded me of uh, the uh, Secretary of Agriculture who was. Wallace, I think his na- last name is, I'm blanking on his first name, but he, like, one of his crazy ideas, you mentioned crazy ideas of people, and and it just sent me down this track thinking about this, but he, in a, as an idea to drive up the price of bacon, he had Midwestern farmers kill, like, three million pigs.
0: <laughs> oh my god. I
2: know, it's a horrible idea, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and it... And it as a means to drive up the price of bacon in, in big cities. And then, uh-huh. you know, at the same time, there's like people dying in New York from hunger. Oh. This was this guy's big idea. He was, he was actually really good friend. I mean, if there's an esoteric connection as well, cause he was like, I think he was connected to, uh, Nicholas Rorick and what's her face? Helena, um, Blavatsky. Okay. Um, yeah, he was. I think he was under the Roosevelt administration, okay. and, and and I think he went to China with. I want to say this may have been in a red eyes, mm-hmm. um, so say think of it as you will. But uh, yeah, I think he did this big tour of China for agricultural hmm. reasons. But yeah, that was his big idea with bacon.
1: Yeah, I remember. It's late here, so my mind isn't firing on all cylinders. So. I do remember in talking to Dean Radin, Bacon came up just as a... We were exploring where experimental methods came from and certain statistics and standard methods nowadays originated from investigations into paranormal stuff or parapsychological stuff. And uh, that's a history that's not really talked about or it's kind of eyed with suspicion or spit on or all of the above. It's just it's still va- a valid line of inquiry that all am- amounts to what prejudice you bring to it, which is why I like you get into vortex math and uh, the, uh, you know, scalar wave yeah. stuff, which I assume you've come across scalar wave stuff. I don't know. Just the, yeah, sure. Just sure. that sort of subject matter, especially free energy too, which is even more despised, but I think it's fascinating. And if new physics come, I don't think they have a free energy machine. Out there, I, I there's two that maybe did something, and which
2: those?
1: There's the Coria plasma engine, the plasma tube engine, and they also did quite a bit with electrodynamic theory. So they weren't like dummies, which I was impressed by, and it was backed by. Sorry, I don't have my video going. So yeah, excuse oh, me.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> uh, you have to deal with Dorothy anyway. That's fine. That's fine. the Coria's. I-
2: no, do if I turned mine on, if, if it affected me.
1: I've heard it does. I've heard it doesn't. I don't know. It's fine. So far, the connection's still perfect, so it's all good. Okay. The Corias is, was backed by Eugene Malov, who has a lot of integrity and expertise and wasn't in the business of just backing something he thought was BS. He disproved a lot of things. And this other guy, Harold Aspden, who was an IBM patent attorney for... 20 plus years evaluating patents and identifying when perpetual motion machines were fucked up and didn't work. And he told, he's, he's got this great archive online, all these articles and a number of them recounting his tales from being an IBM attorney and these really overconfident dudes that had letters from Einstein and boar and all these people because they lived in that era and they wrote to them and they wrote bad people wrote letters then so they got their letters back and anyway none of them worked none of these fucking things work but later in life he came around to the notion that maybe they could and he backed this one and said it worked as far as he was concerned i don't know where they are now like i've tried to contact them they still have their website up they sell a lot of they sell books and stuff but who the hell knows? That that one was yeah. interesting. All I can say is that it was interesting, and it, it's not like it had certain people backing it that I trust. So I can't say it's nothing. And I don't. I'd have to follow it more closely to know what happened to it if it fell out of repeat or something. But I haven't seen anything to that effect.
2: Well, do you remember the name of the website that was tracking various uh, new new energy things? Um,
1: yeah, uh, PESN.
2: Is that The dude has been on a number of programs. Sterling, Um,
1: Sterling Allen. Yeah. Yeah. He just, he just, (laughs) I think he got busted for something. Did he? Yeah. It's, uh, there's a lot of unpleasantness. He's not running that site anymore. uh, Yeah. It's fucked up. It's like, like that community need anything worse. And then he comes along and does some shady shit.
2: (laughs) I never really, his voice always sounded curious to me. Like he didn't, I, something rang weird to me.
1: But. And he was weird, and I wanted to forgive the weirdness, but I don't know. That's sad. It's just sad because uh, he, at the very least, did a lot of reporting. But now who I really like is this guy, Mark Dancy. I've liked him for a while, but he you had Sterling Ale on one side, and then you had Mark Dancy, who is the more sane guy, way more sane, and said, I believe in this stuff in a way, but I don't, haven't seen much evidence for it, which is totally valid. And uh, anyway, he does investigations still into free energy and magnet motors especially and he's gone around and evaluated a lot of stuff and debunked a lot of stuff and he's not a phony and he's not some spook and he's not like he's not a disinfo agent he's just a guy that's curious and knows a lot what the world is like the free energy world and it's not it's way more missed than hit and the only, oh and ken shoulders as far as new physics is concerned, he probably discovered actually actual new physics that we can use. Hmm.
3: What about?
2: Oh, I was thinking of something, but yeah, I don't know. I like because I mean, it, I think it maybe again because it's top of mind that it came up in your Will it interview with Will. But uh, I haven't gone full Luddite or anything, but like because so many of these technologies are simply externalized you know, indicative of what the the consciousness of the people or the thought plane in which people are deriving the and and I'm like more curious about how it can be internalized in human biology or, or biology in general to, than what device can be derived of it. Right.
1: That's a good way of looking at it. It's externalized science of the mind. There's a way of how the body transmits energies and delivers them from A to B to C and back again. And it's, yeah, there's a dynamic to it process. So I'm big into process physics and that's like a good way of considering it. And even stuff like Victor Schauberger who does interesting yeah. science.
2: Oh, that's so funny you bring him up because I was hoping we would get into that because I felt like Schauberger... Schauberger's, um research related to streams and um, eddies along the edge of water was like a huge first influence for me, so um yeah,
1: yeah, and a really cool diagram that I love I always lose it, but I always have to dig it up again because it shows a diagram of the river flowing, and it shows how these waves like implode at certain points along their trajectories and they deposit. Finer materials that they've picked up along the ways, yeah. And so they hit like some sort of boundary, and so I think of these wrong or right when I abstract what space is like. I think of it as a container, and that's an old idea, but it's also still new because string theory uses it, and there's contention over whether it's valid or not. Anyway, you know, a wave traveling in space hits some sort of geometry, and it implodes, and it delivers some sort of whatever energy weird energy or something into our dimension or some kind of consciousness or something right these places like even hauntings or i see all this shit is connected i don't know if it is or it isn't but i can't help but go there and so if that's a dynamic going on on in a different spectrum it's curious to know what it can do and so eric dollard's cool too because maybe it can do free energy or it can he called it synthetic energy which i like he never he didn't was weird. He never oversold it, but he's very overconfident. <laughs> but I mean, I, I don't know why I should expect much from him because he had serious issues, but brilliant. I consider him brilliant. And I talked to Tom Brown and Tom Brown's not a fool. And he didn't really care to hang out with anyone. that He didn't find genuine. And Dollard was one of those guys. Whatever he's done recently, which has been shitty.
2: You know,
0: <laughs>
2: what... Like, I'm not on any social media, or, and I don't know what shitty things has he done?
1: <laughs> well, he was homeless again, probably like yeah. over a year ago. And a couple guys found him that were like admirers that had known of him and had heard whisperings that he was around. And so they found him living out of his car. Of course, tricking yeah, yeah. his car out with okay. all kinds of interesting things, and being just a really likable yeah. guy, because he is. Okay, I've
2: seen those interviews with him. I think yeah, yeah. They're
1: good, and those are edited because there's some shit they cut out where he's like being crazy, bigoted, and, <laughs> and
2: I heard that. I heard that, but then I would never actually seen that. That uh, some yeah. because there was another view that said that he was but i'd never actually i'd listened to a ton of his interviews and i'd never really heard him
1: well say when there was a bunch of shit throwing over him this guy put out the video of like his response video maybe he, he took it down since then but i'm i've seen it i'm telling you was, i don't i know what i saw it wasn't like made up he, he's basically done this there's a repeating pattern for dollar where he people help him and then he bites the hand that feeds him and gets really defensive and says all kinds of slanderous things about what they did supposedly which they didn't do or maybe they cool. did and there's other weird it's just like it was unfortunate so i mean anyone can look into it i will not always time talking about it from front to back but because it's not that interesting beyond him being a fascinating person that's really tortured like a tortured artist and maybe he has nothing but he's a relic kind of and his ideas were just... He was an applied scientist. He wasn't some... I don't know. It was convincing to me. There's still something convincing about him, despite all his weirdness. Yeah. I can't shake it. Same with Schauberger. It's like there's something there, but it's ephemeral. Or maybe not. I mean, Schauberger, there was... I mean, they brought his technology over Texas for a little while, and then tanked yeah. the project, and then he died, and no one knows you what know, happened.
2: Speaking of of uh, Texas did you ever did, have you ever come across the well he's sort of a folk, folk artist in his in how he's known but i think his interests go in other directions charles a a Del Chau, he was in houston texas but he immigrated mm-hmm. in like the early 1900s no. from prussia but he was supposedly a member of the sonora aero, aero club um, which Tesla was rumored to be a member of, and he, they, he, he was a butcher by trade, but he famously made all these really amazing drawings of flying contraptions, and uh, he claims that they were just sort of the pictorial notes of the meetings of this club, and yeah, I don't know, it's really interesting if you ever want to look at some really curious diagrams and collages there's a lot of collage works that simply um record all of the early uh flight record records from the newspapers
1: yeah Mm. it's remind if you heard of john searle yeah yeah it reminds me of that like echoes of these things right and sometimes with the drawings I have all kinds of ideas about the unconscious. And I think ETs, a lot of ETs live there. And these archetypes live there. And people just keep bringing them out in various polyforms. But it's the same shit. It's interesting, though. And some people go out and build them. And whether they fly or not, they're just interesting art projects. Yeah. Yeah. But everyone tries to be like, oh, he's defrauding everyone because it's not going to work. It's like, whatever. If you're stupid enough to pay attention to it or you think it's a fun story, you're, you're paying attention to it. Whatever. It's like, I don't give a shit if the guy plays a trickster. Does anyone really get hurt with something like that? No. And if anyone's stupid enough to throw away their money on these stupid things, it's like, a fool deserves it <laughs> in this situation. It's like, no one's prying it from their hands. It's like, don't. Do some research into these subjects. No, it's probably not going to work. If they take your money, I don't know what to tell you. Anyway. It's all worth it in the name of experimentation.
2: You should check it out. I think you'd love it. And uh, yeah, yeah. It's something, his work is, my friend Kurt and I have talked about it. And he's someone who, I don't know, I think you would find very interesting. To, he, he has several videos, current videos up on his YouTube channel about scalar waves and uh, scalar applications. By the way, just before I got online, I was looking at... <laughs> I wanted to read a few more things before we sat down, and uh, I got sidetracked by footage of what was claiming to be a Tesla Howitzer. Have you seen this scalar wave weapon? No. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) The guy
0: is a little.
1: Well, have you heard of Tom Bearden? Yeah. Tom Bearden is so entertaining to me that I don't even care if he's totally full of shit because i don't think he is he's again he's an applied scientist there's all these applied scientists trying to do theory and it's kind of laughable sometimes because they're criticizable but at least they're going there and harold aspton the only reason he was criticized was because they said he was too mathematical so you you're either not mathematical enough or you're too mathematical and he really his books are in a i don't i can't there's parts where he definitely puts it in plain english what he's talking about and how he models space time That's Aspen's contribution beyond being just a guy that evaluated stuff. He was a big on theory and really interesting and reformulated electrodynamics to make this stuff sort of feasible in a theoretical sense. He was intense, like just lines and lines of formula. And I don't know who's ever looked at it seriously. I bet there's something interesting there. If anyone really cared to look, left, they'd find something. But his books are rare. Someone's crazy enough to be charging like three grand for his book like on Amazon. I'm like, no "No one's going to pay that. I emailed the person. I'm like, uh, look, I'm, I want this book, but that's obscene. (laughs) Like, well, I'm willing to come down to like 800. (laughs) I'm like, okay. I was thinking more like 70. (laughs) And, and that was like really steep for me. But anyway, he's a guy to look into. And there's so many of these characters and they're so interesting. I try to put them in a context and I can only see them as sort of shamanic characters that like you said, are what's the word projecting these sorts of interior processes and to maybe can we turn it into something magical to save ourselves when really it's like something you would apply to yourself to save yourself.
2: That reminds me of another early uh, Camelot person, Ralph ring. Did you ever watch any of the Ralph ring? Ones? Yeah,
1: he, yeah. He supposedly was in the spaceship that, yeah. that quantum lapped, and he, he's just kind of interesting background, like about ping pong balls like hovering and stuff and how he was into these ideas. But that's just like, those are parlor tricks and I don't know what really happened with him, but he's an interesting character and doesn't seem totally fraudulent, but I don't know.
2: The one thing that always stood out from him that, that, that I found particularly interesting was uh, his description of the bumblebee using that effect in its propulsion. Like, Mm -hmm. did you remember that?
1: Yeah, sure. Vibration. That was the big thing with the, like, Autocar was the guy he worked with an Auto yeah. Carr. Right
2: the Tesla
0: dude. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep, yeah, who's right, the last apprentice of Tesla. Who knows? <laughs> who the fuck knows? Yeah. And who knows crazy. what happened with that. Like the the proof he said was that he had they had dirt in their pockets or something. Yeah. Right. Not remembering yeah. having dirt yep. in their pockets. And who knows? That's easily that doesn't mean anything. The human mind no, can no. be so easily suggested that everyone takes these stories for granted. Anyone that's looked into mentalism knows people can get just fucking fucked with in really simple, misdirecting kind of ways. And so who knows what they remember or what happened, but it's, again, there's a story who the fuck knows, but curious. Hesla is more verifiable in a lot of ways. Borden Cliff was built, it was a thing, it was premised on these, maybe the pyramids, who the hell knows? It's possible if someone like Christopher Dunn is right, or other models of those things but his is the most feasible just for the time and the place and what they were doing and what they probably had a grasp of chemistry wise it doesn't have to be the super exotic thing it's just a big fucking pit that you pour chemicals into and you get it hot (laughs) yeah it does stuff i don't know it's uh uh, it it looks like it works for me (laughs) or just like a super hot what, what are those things like sweat lodges right like a sweat lodge for the pharaoh the ultimate sweat lodge to really he talked to all kinds of weird shit all kinds of weird creatures so it was either to produce energy for their buzz saws or it was just to get the pharaoh really high percentages say it was the pharaoh but who knows what it was maybe both these are fun questions to play with with these stupid things (laughs) it's like who cares I mean, who cares on one level right but i've like i've looked into almost like all of them just trying to find maybe oh maybe there's something here and I keep coming back to, I mentioned Ken shoulders before, and that's just, he found these clusters of electrons. They shouldn't be clustering. And he was pulling them out of nowhere with these like little contraptions. He was an engineering genius. He came up with the, he never graduated from college. I don't think he went to college. He was just a boy genius and invented shit. He invented the mass quadrupole spectrometer, which is a standard, standard technology in all nuclear physics weighing like i think helium you can detect all kinds of isotopes with it so everyone needs it everyone wants it it's always been upgraded but that's the baseline technology he invented that and he was a genius and he started doing this these things in his own little lab and pulling out these clusters of electrons and they were sort of like electrostatic entities because he equated them with like a spark you would get before you touch a, a doorknob and so that's electrostatic so these have to be electrostatic maybe but anyway, they might be like a, these scalar entities or zero point entities. He didn't know, and they didn't. He speculated, but it was just the fact he could create them, and, he, and they were basically ball lightning, like clustered ball lightning, that they would literally carve out holes and pits into metal plates that he would set up in targets. So they is a propulsion technology, and is a, a potential propulsion as a potential like weaponized thing. It's kind of spooky but just the fact that it's like where are these things coming from and how do they stay together so that's the new physics part it's like okay you can materialize things from nowhere you don't need a what is it a Hadron Collider or some shit that's all they use it for it's like that thing's so useless Collider let's just pour more billions into this they (laughs) built this giant ring in the ground like we gotta use it for something let's pretend like we're gonna make a black hole and leak that to the press and make a big story out of nothing
2: God. Yeah, but you know, it's been good fodder for various Avengers movies with various <laughs> portals. And things, so,
1: yeah, I think. All right. Yeah. yeah that's. Uh, I'm so happy. <laughs> that makes it all better. <laughs> now, but whatever. Do you know much about Cold Fusion? You'd like Cold Fusion?
2: No, but I was going to ask you that. Well, I mean, I know the. Ponds. I mean, I know very rudimentary stuff about it, but I was curious when you we were having a bringing up um, functional free energy type things. I mean, do, are you. i if that, There's that's the original experiments are kind of shrouded in a lot of he said, she said, in terms of whether or not it worked or not. I, I tend to think it did, and that.
1: Theirs did work. I mean, but cold fusion has been shown to be like many types of complicated chemistry mixed with solid state physics it's two complicated types of physics or, or yeah basically if you think of it as quantum chemistry if you want to dig that deep so it's these overlaid regimes of a chemical regime and a solid state regime and they're no no one knew all the specifics of how they were getting it done but it was producing excess heat and all the objections were garbage and there were even a couple peer-reviewed papers that got accepted up until the editor and then he vetoed it and said we're not publishing these yeah yeah so the good stuff never got into the public eye at all while all the negative shit that in hindsight has been proven to be as faulty as the experiments that they said they were disproving it's like it was just a a big clusterfuck of no one was getting it right and everyone wanted to be the, the person that either that was victorious everyone had such a huge ego so it was kind of gross and it got lost in the politics but it's a real science and it's been proven experimentally it's it's like the biggest underground science of the last 30 years that no one has talked about and no one would dare talk about that they're doing research on it but a lot of groups and private companies like mitsubishi still does work on it and they get transmutation all the time on demand their guy Iromura, i think is his name he can just transmute elements i mean not like complete transmutation and it's stingy and it's not efficient but they can do it so just the fact that you can do it at low energies is bizarre and it shows that there's new nuclear physics too that we don't even know is there or we know it's there but no one wants to recognize it so there's always new stuff being revealed all the time and so again for new physics that's like an interesting thing and it totally adds to the old idea of you know alchemy and everything and that's a funny twist of fate that Irrational alchemy is a real thing. All these things are real. They're just anti-intellectual, I guess. They can do stuff. It's it, it opposes the intellectualism of the West. So they're like, oh, it can't be. They could have not have known. But no, they knew. It just wasn't in your language. So we all come to the same truths eventually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I have no fucking idea where David or Kevin is. It's amazing. Neither of them are here. <laughs> 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 But I mean, this stuff inspires art for you, and that's really cool. Uh, sure. Yeah. It, for me, it kind of has in that it's inspired me to like—that was my gateway into interviewing people and stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. So, it's just—I I don't know—it opens up the imagination. So why shouldn't people pursue it?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, you—you <laughs> you said a couple of things in the last couple of minutes that like I've had some like very spacey thoughts about recently, but um. Uh, so I was like trying to meter myself in terms of like where I go, <laughs> where I where I, what I say. But yeah, I'm curious. I'm always curious. To, uh, I mean, I don't know what can I say. I'm like totally disinterested in, in, in a great deal of stuff. And there there are certain conversations being being had that cross over into these types of subjects. And this is like a way of addressing it for me. And and art making is just like what I enjoy most.
1: So. You know, I don't know, like your aesthetic. It's definitely reminiscent of, say, like Vortex math aesthetic too. And if we have mentioned Rodin back and forth. And I don't. It seems like they built, built that system around the enneagram a bit. Or he? Uh, am I wrong in that? Maybe you know more about it than me. I don't.
2: I don't. I don't I'm not a hundred. I'm not sure. I think that I don't know if it seems like that that whole school of, school of logic. I mean, it it's goes back a long way, so it's being repackaged in Vortex Math, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I followed it very very loosely, uh, and then I had some like sort of weird sinks in terms of the um, gallery uh, director being next door neighbors to him, and uh, as I was making the inner tube sculptures that are sort of pretty much very similar to the rodent coil, rodent right. coil so but yeah I don't know I'm not really I don't really see it as a it feels like a cult but I don't yes
1: know. that's the thing I well the, it's not, I have no disrespect for the Enneagram it's as good as any of the systems like the Kabbalah or whatever and people would argue over the finer points of that but these are all just to me sophisticated symbols to sort of rearrange your neurological circuit a bit and get you into a different state of mind so there's a lot of different ways to do that no one has a monopoly on that truth although i don't say that much so i think that's a bunch of bs anyway but to build a system of like say you're going to produce all this free energy from these mathematics where where are these free energy machines and where i where yeah. the rotor coil beyond being a beautiful piece of technology when it's constructed and i'm sure does like certain things that are interesting and might be able to be harnessed in sewing it's not going to save the world it's just going to be an interesting thing and so yeah from what i have seen the time i spent on it i haven't been impressed but that's just me you know, some people are really into it that's all good because maybe there is a hint of something there because it can't be that's the thing you dig these places and you'll come out with some semblance of truth a piece of truth there's always something there so You don't want to ignore anything necessarily. Well, certain things, like certain things, (laughs) but this isn't, it's interesting. So I know why you went there for sure.
2: He's a really curious character. I don't know. yeah. My friend Kurt ended up having a lot of correspondences with uh, a couple of the people in his circle. And, and, uh, and we kind of had some conversations based on that. I, I just find it, from I went down it a little bit, and it just seemed like a path that I didn't feel like pursuing very much more and learning much more um for whatever reason I don't know and uh
1: it's do do you read well I'm like I'm not much into occultism myself, but is there any particular characters from that world that interest you?
2: Uh, well, I've bounced around everywhere in that world, and you know I mean I've been following. Always record for a really long time, so it's been a resource for for various schools or lines that have intertwined with occultism. And you know, California is like just piles and piles and piles of occultism. Like so, even if you're not intending to, it's like everywhere. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I have so many stories about like how it resurfaces in California, but um, yeah. I'm not, I never, I have never read much Crowley. I, uh, yeah, no, I haven't read any Crowley really. And, uh, and, or, I, I mean, I, I spend a lot of time drawing, so I've listened to a lot of people talk about it. (laughs) So that's, and I, you know, I've read a fair, some other stuff, but I can't think of any specific character that, like, I, I can say I know a ton about that person. Well, it's just
1: interesting to see how some of them have emerged in the free energy circles, say. Rudolf Steiner really inspired Tom Brown and other, even Tesla can be said to have, I mean, he interacted with a lot of mystics like Walter Russell, and I'm sure he had other passing communications with the and.
2: Walter Russell, books on Walter Russell, but, uh, and I found him interesting for a, for a period of time. And Steiner's work on color is interesting to me.
1: Yeah. These are interesting. Even if they're considered artifacts, again, there's always like, hints of some sort of way of perceiving the world that are interesting in these ways these people think and walter russell is, is really fascinating to me because again like equating the inventing mind with the shamanic mind and now it's just like a lot of technologists are projecting but russell basically was old school in that he had like a two three week vision ongoing on and off but stretched out for a long period of time and he got these images and sense for how to Piece these ideas together into like a cosmology, and a science or whatever. But it's just it's whatever. Just as an art expression is amazing.
2: Yeah, another guy just really great diagrams.
1: Amazing. Like, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: they're time like timeless, and some of them look like they've been done in like a chalk or something. They have this strange aesthetic to them. The coloring he's used, like either pastel or a chalk, and it's they're beautiful. And they have, uh, the concept of the cube and the vortex is not a bad one at all. I mean, these are geometries that are sympathetic with each other. And as far as like vacuum models go, like the competing ones are always, it's always fluid dynamic models or sort of like lattice structures. So it might be a cube or an octagon, whatever, whatever the geometry of choices for the modeler. These are, so I just, what I do as a middle road person, I just fucking smash them together. And it's like, okay, there's if there's a reality, it's probably both. Like these things always, if it's producing both things, it's probably both things. I don't know. I don't know how else to think of the vacuum. It's a fascinating thing because I think, again, with free energy and consciousness, it's probably like where we're pulling the non-local consciousness from. And I think I said this in one of the first Always Records I came on. I'm like, well, if we're harnessing free energy, we're basically harnessing like consciousness machines in a weird way because part of our consciousness is linked up with that. Cause our body is linked up to it at the finest level. It's called vacuum polarization. These virtual charges cluster around like heavy ions or other parts of your body. And they're basically these sort of like digital uplinks or virtual uplinks to some deeper thing. And we just pretend like, Oh, well, they're there, but we don't, they're meaningless. Well, maybe they're not meaningless. So it all depends on what you take as genuine experience. And then you have to find reasons for these things. So I don't know. I—that's—I I, don't know. I guess that's how I was led here. I started piecing that together for myself, but it's still—it's speculative. But neuroscience is basically still a wild west. No one wants to say that, but it's totally a wild west. There's all kinds of room for speculation.
2: You know, this is a weird story, but—and um, I'm sorry if I—if you say some some really you're saying what everything you said there is probably worthy of me responding to in a variety of ways. But I, I immediately thought of this story that I got, um, I don't remember which Walter Russell book it was, but I, I ordered it from off of eBay and I got it and it happened to be a signed copy from him,
0: mm. which was really yeah. weird.
2: And, and I, and I was headed off to a job, uh, uh an art installing job. It actually, it's, really crazy gated community and above Mulholland drive. And uh, it's where Sumner Redstone lives in this community. And then like, so we were hanging some artwork at this one other family that lived inside. It's like, you know, armed guards and Mm. stuff. It's really weird. But I was in this, I was sitting in this uh, private park inside of this community and right next to me, and I was looking at that book and right next to me was a plaque uh, honoring uh, the per uh, a person who lived in that community who paid for and built this park, and uh, I'm blanking on his name. He's a a very famous. Okay, well, I, I some Adler, I think, is his last name, but he had a nickname that he went by that was kind of Papa Adler okay. or something like that. And,
1: the psychiatrist. And, uh,
2: no, no, he he was um he here's the deal. I so I look up this guy and you know the movie casino yeah yeah okay so i think there's a movie a, a scene in that where they like throw out the they like take one of the bosses of the what what i think is the flamingo hotel and they like throw him out and they're like get out of here. it was bugsy Seagulls. uh the flamingo hotel is was bug bugsy mm. Seagulls. i i think this was i think this is part i want to say that this is what casino part of the movie Casino is based on is the actual story of the Flamingo Hotel. Well, anyways, Adler is named in a bunch of, of, uh, court documents because he was the, the real life person that was thrown out of the Flamingo Hotel by Bugsy Siegel's crew. And, uh, yeah, he, like fired from them, but he, he was a real estate guy or something. I don't know, but he ended up, um, being named on this plaque. And it was, so it was just a weird, link to this moth mafia story that um and <laughs> but yeah i was reading that walter russell book and i don't know stories that go nowhere by dennis cook
1: well that's where most of all these record guys it's just nowhere so that's fine but <laughs> so i guess what are um are you still working on with the vortex geometries and stuff, or have you gravitated to something different lately, as far as your artwork goes?
2: Yeah, I don't know. I'm making, well, I was making these circular pieces that I, I was attempting to um, show an implosive force. So like um, there is a membrane, like a inside of a a circular inside a circle, there is this sort of cracking or rupturing of the, of a membrane of a surface, of a membrane and then a implosive force to the center uh, of that Mm. circle. So that's something that's just the current thing that I've, I mean, the the idea of circles and an implosive movement has uh, reoccurred in a number of my drawings as a sort of, uh, uh, motif. Um, so so that's the kind of, those are the the bodies of work I'm working on right now. And then I have this concurrent body of work that are these large colored pencil drawings that are these scramble channel drawings, and they're just sort of the antithesis of the very organized circular works, um, even though I think they cross over, but they're like, they fly in all directions.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, hang on. I think David is... David.
0: David. <laughs> David. <laughs> Damn it. Hi. Okay.
1: so are you still doing a little collaboration work with mark Leclerc or was that just for your exhibit or what was going on with that i'm just curious
2: yeah i mean i correspond with mark and we have some ideas about some other bodies of work but um but primarily it was just for that the accompanying essay for that show it seemed most appropriate in terms of like some of the subject matter. And also it it was like just a really awesome experience to work with him on that. And uh, we had a lot of fun and, um, yeah, it was just like, uh, things started interconnecting in a way that was really just, you know, Mm -hmm. great flow. And, uh,
1: yeah. No, he's a trippy dude. And I have only had a chance to talk to him a, a few times. What did he call me? The Mel Torme of synchronicity. So I appreciated that. Yeah. That's one, that one stuck with me. <laughs> Just as an side joke that I occasionally bring out.
0: I think he has an
2: like, awesome sense of humor. So <laughs> uh,
1: I will argue with him on his uh, certain points, but hang
2: on. Sure. Yeah.
1: David. Sir. Yay. All right. Hi. So Dennis is on the call with us.
3: Okay. Hello, David. sir. Hi. Hi. Yeah. You guys have been talking for 47 minutes, or? Yeah. Okay. 42 and change. Nice. <clears throat> Sorry, I had shit come up. I just made it to my computer, and now I'm here.
1: You don't have to explain yourself. Kevin's I'm your trying
3: head. to, you know, I, I don't have to explain myself, and I'm actually not explaining myself. I'm just telling you I couldn't make it, and now I can. But uh, hello, sir. Hello, <laughs> sir. <laughs> How's the the conversation so far? You want to just catch me up in two minutes of what you've been talking about for the last 47?
1: (laughs) Yeah. We were just finishing on Mark LeClaire, so maybe that's a good launching off point. But overall, we've just been talking about free energy stuff, for the most part, and maybe how that ties into consciousness. But it's been a back and forth, and asking Dennis a little bit about his artwork.
2: And various other obscure characters from uh, science history that and art history, I guess, too.
1: <laughs> that mildly obscure... David,
2: David, not to rehash too much, but David, are you, are you familiar with Charles A.A. Dushau, by any chance, In from uh, art? He was a very obscure folk art type guy. I
3: don't know. Let me look that up really quick. One of the benefits of having a computer radio show is that I can just... <laughs> so how do you spell Dush, Dushau?
2: It's a it's got a weird sp- it's G E L L
3: S C H A U, I wanna say, possibly. Okay. My computer's giving me the it's giving me the rainbow.
1: Okay. David, I, I know it's not convenient for you to record, but just as a backup, can you can you roll two? Oh I'll
3: I'll will ba- I'll back it on it.
1: Alright, thanks.
3: Like a U hole.
1: Sometimes if mine craps out, I can't even start it up again. So last time it worked out, but I can't get Tell me it.
3: about it. Yeah. All right. Let's see. Um. De Dechelle. It sounds familiar, but okay. So maybe Charles what? Dechelle. Maybe if I look up images, I'll get more. Yeah, I the
2: images are great. I I, re- I highly suggest the images. All of you people in podcast land, go
3: check the images. Yeah. And ten na- of you people.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. yeah these, are, these are trippy, dude.
2: He was supposedly a member of what was called the Sonora Aero Club. That was a uh, well, he was a member of it, but but another supposed member of it was Nikola Tesla, and they had um, meetings in Sonora, California, discussing um, various types of flight. Um, and in his collages, which he had a really great name for, um, like uh, something blooms. Um, oh, I'm I'm blanking, but he uh, his collages often. A, showed a lot of um early flight attempts and trans trans global flight attempts and stuff
3: totally i can see that um very like a lot of uh blimps and whatnot yeah right? a lot of blimps reminds me of the wizard of oz just really quickly where you rudimentary uh flying i mean that was the whole Oh, that's weird wow yeah, trippy dude. No, no never uh, seen this in my recollection. I can't remember. I think,
2: was, I think he was arrested late in life for accused of being a communist. But um, but who hasn't? Who hasn't been
1: arrested? <laughs> who hasn't been called a communist once or twice in their day?
3: Everyone and their mom. I know. Have been I know. called I a I communist been. at some
1: point. <laughs> you
3: know? McCarthy. Uh, he's called a communist. Uh, <laughs> what? Yeah, you know that's the thing.
1: Uh... I don't know. Uh, But this reminds me of like Nazi bell stuff too, which I can never, I've never verified or not verified. I've talked to Alex Fulton a bit about it and he is pretty impressed by the research on it. So I take his opinion.
2: Yeah. Joseph Farrell, that's Joseph Farrell territory too.
1: Yeah. And Joseph Farrell's done a lot and he's not bad as far as alternative historians go i'm always hmm, i don't know some people are trying to sell some pretty out there stories like even joseph farrell is trying to sell the space war story as a literal thing and hmm. i i don't know if i've again i haven't read it so i don't want us to jump to conclusions but just the fact that i don't know like i you can only begin to maybe hint at that to make that a whole thesis of a book like yeah this happened is he saying i mean david are you raising an eyebrow at me or is that like something you take seriously or what what's that the what's just farrell like the space war thing
3: oh cosmic
1: or i thought I that's what you were uh making some gesture towards but maybe not so oh
3: you can see my my face and i look like i'm making a gesture no
1: you said mm. it's blue and... <laughs> a, a, a vocal gesture I was
3: actually, if you want to know my process, I'm thinking about uh, what I was listening to last night from Peter LaVinda. You were talking about, you know, alternative historians or whatever. Yeah. And I re- I've i really been digging on uh, the way that he approaches his stuff, particularly in resonance with us. I just, he, you know, Project Camelot, so often when they interview people, they use certain words like conclusions. They're like, so what conclusion have you uh, come to now? Mm. And I just love how, like, him and, like, um, Hoagland uh, will do the thing where they just don't really play into that so much. Like, he's like, well, I have my different ideas about whatever things could mean. But he's like, I'm just still just trying to, you know, make some sense of what I'm trying to make sense of on its own terms. Like, I don't even know where to begin to apply this in a larger sense. And he used the word... Uh, Coincidence and synchronicity, you know, to try and like communicate his point. He was like, I don't know where the, you know, like, that's his argument for, you know, sinister forces, which is a reference um, to the missing 18 minutes of the Jan Irving, I mean, uh, you know, uh, Nixon interview. Um, (laughs) And so, like, that, you know, where he's like, he felt like there were sinister forces behind the missing stuff, you know, and so I, i i i'm I'm down, you know whatever, yeah, there's definitely some sinister forces at play, you know, it's just I would qualify that a little differently uh myself um in the sense of like is something inherently evil or uh is evil something that's a toxic that attaches itself to the thing like like you know like with snot, if you have snot snot is a very pure thing, it's crystalline, it's like it's great, you know when it first starts out and it goes into your body. And it pulls in all the toxins, and then you bring it, bring it out, and then it's collecting the toxins. But it's this pure thing that's doing it. But people are like, "Oh, gross snot." Well, snot becomes gross, but like essentially, like what snot is, you can't get any more pure, you know. Yeah. And so I relate to intelligences the same way. And that's the meaning of like the nullification of the clepto and stuff. You know, people are like, you know, something's not inherently evil. And that can be misconstrued. And like, it's been a tricky thing, you know, and Baruch hasn't really known exactly, I guess he has in his own way, but how to go about relaying that when he's doing his discourses on Kabbalah, because it's like people have a lot of charge on the idea of evil or there's, you know, you know, I think it's a lot to do with organized religion and stuff of like the dualities that get presented and stuff. But this isn't a dualistic thing i mean it is on its level you're like good and evil but then like what what is essential isn't either of those it's just what it is um and so i can i can relate that so like when i hear him talking about sinister forces i put that into a different context in the way that i take it in i'm not like oh these fucking demons or whatever like demons themselves like that's the thing you have Sh- Shaddai. you know that's that could be taken as angelic or demonic you know metat it's the six directions. Like, is the six directions evil, you know? I mean, uh, the the template of the you know, the replication of that, like is that an evil thing in and of itself? No, not necessarily. It's all in what uh you know someone's uh, relating to it, you know. This is this make sense?
1: It works for me. Okay.
3: <laughs> Does it work for you?
2: Sure. Yeah. I I actually got side so I I I was thinking it, Dark Missions of Hoagland's Dark Missions was like the first uh weird one of the first weirdo books i ever bought and i originally i was like turned off because uh the writing is just it's some it's a weird writing (laughs) style and it's just not very good writing but there are some but there are some things that popped out like uh one of the i went i visited jpl one time or a couple times and one of the Pasadena. yeah 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 and, uh, like you go in and they take you into the, um, Theodore van Carmen, uh, lecture auditorium who David, supposedly he was a member of the A star, a, or whatever a group like, or at least that's what Hoagland proposes. And I read the book late, much, much later after this, this trip, but, um, and uh it, they and they show okay in the orientation they show an orientation video about um NASA's history and its um trips and various missions and voyages um and such and it's narrated by Harrison Ford and when yeah. they yeah and when they discuss uh, the asteroid belt, which relates back to the cosmic war thing, possibly, because when they, I mean, they, this video, if you ask me, it insinuated that at one point it was a planet. And that was the question that I asked at JPL, um, if they had explored the idea of that being a planet at one point in time. That's the Zachariah
3: Sitchin theory, right? Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, yeah. I asked that question. They, maybe they've gotten that, maybe they... they the lady treated it like it's a question she had received before, which I, which was I was sort of entertained by. But um,
0: <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, I mean they, I mean her response was that they um, they had ex- they have explored such models. Only the material that's left that makes that comprises the asteroid belt would make up a rather small planet. Um, so, but they were like, we would love to go back and ex- and and look into this further. Um, but yeah.
0: Huh.
1: I think we wanted to talk about catastrophe yeah. theory earlier, and then we got sidetracked. But it, it is a interesting hypothesis, and Velikovsky was sort of crucified, because, oh god, we can't let mythology or religion in the back door with scientific theory. What if there was a flood? or Even if there wasn't, it's just it's a workable hypothesis. So the man wasn't insane, no, uh, and he wasn't CMI. a... Yeah, it's like, oh, okay, well... If all these mythologies, yeah, archetypes and what have you, and these are universal to the collective unconscious, but every once in a while, I bet a real event is intermingled, like a global thing happens, and people catalog it through their ciphers and what have you. So just the fact that that was part of it alone, it never got the time of day or the credit. I'm not saying it's the theory. I don't know how the universe began. I don't even give a shit. Like, it doesn't matter. (laughs) Like, these arguments really don't matter pragmatically, they're interesting and I engage with them because I'm a territorial ape, but...
2: I think that more as a nodal point of something that occurred, like, actually how you see it or perceive it is not necessarily what... what the specifics of it isn't necessarily what needs to be taken away,
1: whether, rather just like a, you know, exchange point. At some point, right, I mean, an event happened, we, we got something or nothing, it's a fascinating thing, or what larger construct are part of? I mean, that to me is absent, of whether we exploded out of a bubble or the universe has always existed and it's in a steady state, it's, what's the difference? It's still an organism-type situation, what's our place in that organism, as far as I'm concerned? It's not like, I still don't believe what determinism is saying, but there's something larger that we're a part of, it's weird. If you look at the earth, you zoom out, it's like the trees are like flagellum, it's strange. Strange, look atoms too. They're all or certain viruses, it depends on who we are. I don't know. Thank you for listening to this broadcast from The Sync Book Radio. If you enjoyed this episode, there's so much more content waiting for you at thesyncbook.com. Tune in to our other Sync Book Radio programs, 42 Minutes, Always Record, The Marty Leeds Mathematical Radio Hour, Synchronized, Pentimental, and Sync Quick News. Our newest episodes are always
2: free and members get access to our full archive of over 600 hours. You'll find all of this, as well as our books and videos, at thesyncbook.com.